Welcome to the second episode of our new podcast, First They Came for the Immigrants. In this episode, Virginia Raymond will be talking with Montserrat Garabay, Secretary-Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO, to discuss the intersection of labor, immigration, and justice, as well as her own personal experiences as an immigrant. Good evening, Montserrat. Buenas noches. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm excited that we're doing this. And um, to anybody who's listening out there, Montserrat Garibay is right now the Secretary Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO, um, which is a really exciting uh, position for those of us who believe in social justice for Montserrat to be in, in Texas. And um, I knew her first, both as an an organized labor, an organizer with Education Austin, and as an immigration immigrant advocate, um, especially right after uh, President Barack Obama had signed into um, being uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DACA program in 2012. So welcome, Monserrat. Thank you very much for taking time for this. And um, maybe we could go back and let me ask you, uh, how did you become an immigrant advocate? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure to, uh, to be with people that you love and, and, and respect. Um, well, my immigrant story starts 28 years ago uh, as an undocumented young kid coming to the U.S. with my mother and my sister. Uh, we came undocumented and, uh, you know, we, I, I graduated from high school and because I, there was an in-state tuition for undocumented students, uh, my mom sent me back to Mexico. Uh, and I was able to come back with a tourist visa and then uh, my mom's boss helped me to get an international student visa. And uh, I went to ACC, went to UT, and then I graduated as a bilingual educator. And one of the things that when I was doing my, uh, my internship, um, my t my mentor teacher told me you have to be part of um, of education Austin the teachers union, and I did what I was told. I went and signed up a card with education Austin, and little did I know that that really truly changed my my uh, my life um, because I was organizing with undocumented students at UT. Um, and then as a teacher, I, ha I dealt a lot with students whose families were deported. Um, and that story, since I started teaching, was just kind of hearing my story and living my sto story all over again. From, you know, I remember clearly when my mother would drop us off to school. Um, you know, in our backpacks, we had um, our, uh, a little card with my aunt's number and friend's number in case she wouldn't pick us up because we knew, we always knew that we were undocumented. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we, I learned to organize with my union um, and I learned to also advocate for those who were always invisible. Um, and one, one of the things that I, I always remember is that my mother always told us to be invisible, right? That not, not to have a lot of voice, not to, talk to people about our status. Um, and one of the beautiful things that happened to me with Education Austin is that I really found my voice, that I really found that what I had to say mattered, that I, what I had to say would help other immigrant, uh, com the immigrant community. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And I just want to, because people who listen to this podcast might not be in Austin, uh, ACC, you mean Austin Community College? Yes, that's correct. And UT is the University of Texas at Austin. Yes, that's correct. Education Austin, when Education Austin was founded, it was very exciting for those of us in Austin who had, um, for whom Education Austin was a really new idea and a new concept in organizing um, those people who take care of children and educate them. Could you talk a little bit about why Education Austin is different? Yeah, so Education Austin is the union that represents the um, classified employees, the, te the teacher assistants, uh, bus drivers, custodians, technicians uh, in the school districts in Austin ISD, as well as the teachers, the certified employees. Um, and we represent about 3,000 members in Austin ISD. We, we have what is called consultation. Um, which it's like a meet and confer uh, where we meet with the, with the human resources for Austin ISD and we talk to them about different issues in, with workers. Uh, and one of the really cool things about Education Austin is that it's a merged local. So we're part of the American Federation of Teachers and the National, National Education Association. So it's a very rare, uh, it's very rare to have a union in the state of Texas that it's part of both of the biggest unions. So I always saw it like I had my parents were divorced uh, and that they were both wonderful and had lots of resources and a lot of guidance, but they were divorced. But in Education Austin, we were together. That is wonderful. And, and, and I was just very moved because it was the first time I'd ever seen the teachers working together as equals with um, the custodians and with um, the teacher assistants. And so being from outside, uh, it was just a very beautiful uh, thing and really represented the essence of solidarity. Um, I don't remember what year that happened. Do you? Uh, it was 20 years ago, actually. Okay. Yeah, 20 years ago. And then um, AISD is Austin Independent School District. Again, for those people who might not be in Texas, um, all the school districts in Texas, all the public schools have ISD at the end of them, they're independent school districts. I really am interested and um, moved by the fact that you said that your mother, in order to protect you and your sister, had always warned you to kind of keep a low profile and not call attention to yourself, not share um, your immigrant immigration status with other people. And that changed when you joined Education Austin. Can you Tell us a little more about that. Um, did it feel scary? Um, I mean, what was that like? Yeah. Um, so it, it was very scary. Um, I think always stepping and sharing your story with people that you don't know, it's a scary, but it's more, it's a scarier when you're undocumented. Um, and so when I really stepped out of my comfort zone, I might say, um, it was during a, uh, the raids that started happening 2000 and I had some of my students were really scared and their families were really scared and I remember this young kid um, we were in the playground it was when the raids started to happen and uh, a police officer passed by in their car and I saw this little boy going down the slide and hiding and I thought to myself like what is he doing so I went and I said you know 
um, what, what, like, what's going on? Why are you hiding? And he was terrified. And he said, my mom told me that if I saw the police, I needed to hide. And that totally bro broke my heart um, because it is, it is outrageous that a four-year-old has to live with that, um, with that, with that uh, big, uh, with that big uncertainty. And that really broke my heart. And I remember calling Luis Malfaro, who was the president of Education Austin back then, and saying, Luis, like, what can we do? This is this is really scary. Is there a way that we can help the parents? Is there a way that uh, we can do something? During that time, I was I was already um, a permanent resident. And I was still scared because I wasn't sure like how much I could be vocal on this issue. And uh, I talked to Luis uh, from Education Austin and I also talked to my principal at my school. And they both were like, well, you know, there's really nothing we can do. It's really out of our, um, you, you, you're there to teach, right? And I was like, but we can do, we can, you know, I can call my lawyer and maybe he can talk to the parents. And they were like, well, that's just not really something that you should be doing. You should focus on teaching. Um, and I remember saying like, but, but this can't happen. Like I'm a teacher at the end of the day, I cannot teach these children to read and write if they're scared, if they know that their parents might be deported. So uh, years later passed and when I decided to run for uh, the vice president of education, Austin, uh, I started reading a lot about uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. And I remember reading this article that talked about social justice unionism. <laughs> and I thought it was like, wow, this, this union in Chicago was able to do the things that the unions do, the, to fight for the bread and butter issues, uh, healthcare and pay raises, but then they also integrated social justice, immigration, uh, racial equity, uh, and of course, professional development. So when I ran, um, I, uh, I sat down with who then was the, the president, Ken Serafis, and, uh, and I just talked to him. We talked together, and he asked me to run for the, to be the vice president of education, Austin. And he said, hey, all this stuff that you're doing, uh, all these ideas that you have about immigration and how to empower teachers and how to empower students and families about their rights during these traveling times about immigration, you can do that. Uh, as the vice president. And I thought, wow, I really, I, can I do that? Uh, and that to me was, uh, that was like the, the key point where I said, I love teaching. And of course, like I, I, I miss it dearly, but I understood that there was something bigger that I could do for the communities that look like me, uh, for the students that had my, my story and I could be uh, a voice for them. Uh, and could, I could also help educators provide them with tools and information of how they could help their students uh, and their families to be advocates as well. And a good organizer is a great teacher as well, not in the sense of lecturing like bad teachers, but in the sense of having relationships in which people grow and learn mm -hmm. and try new things. So it seems like a good fit um, to be an, a teacher and then an organizer, although I bet it could also go the other way. 
Mm-hmm. So this very important conversation that you had leading to your running for vice president, what year was this? This was 2012. Okay. So we had already passed 2006 with the really, really enormous, fantastic uh, immigrant rights marches mm-hmm. in um, across the country, including here. Yeah. Um, and tell me about the relationship of your election as vice president of education austin and president obama's signing of daca because that's the same year yeah well you know i think there's a reason why things happen um i was in during that time i have always been very close with the undocumented community at ut uh my sister and i co-founded the university leadership initiative and uh, i was very close to them and it would i i got um let's see i got uh, i became the vice president of education austin at the end of may and then president obama passed the fair action was it in october november? june june okay something <laughs> june. like that yeah june. although we all started gearing up doing the daca clinics right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so when that when president obama uh signed the deferred action for childhood arrivals i you know, we saw that there was this really great opportunity to have information about what the Deferred Action was. So we started doing forums uh, and partnering with immigration lawyers like yourself, uh, organizations where we do we did these Know Your Right clinics, but then also there was this there, there was a segment of uh, college students who they have uh, finished their their uh, their degrees to become educators and were not able to work. So with the Deferred Action uh, for Childhood Arrivals, when that happened, all these people, all these young kids that I knew who had a degree could become teachers. So we saw this, this really good opportunity of providing them the information of this is how you apply for DACA and then come and teach in Austin ISD and then, of course, my organizer head was like, and then you can become an Education Austin member and you can share your stories with the parents and then also become a leader in Education Austin. So that, that really gave us a really strong foundation of identifying young leaders, helping them with their fixing their, um, getting their DACA. Uh, but then also empowering them with knowledge that they could turn around and provide that information in their communities. It was, it was really, it was a beautiful time. Um, and just to be able to see uh, young teachers, you know, like decorating their classrooms and sharing their stories and working and providing for their families. It, it was one of the most beautiful um, times for sure. Just from the little involvement I had, it was a, a thrilling time. It was a very hopeful time, a very, very exciting time. And now so many of those friends from the ULI are teaching and 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 not only teaching, but again, going on and getting their master's degrees so they can be even, um, you know, more, even better teachers and even more um, influential in their schools as well as in within labor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, ULI started in what year? 2005. 2005, okay. So um, work for 
for DACA, for deferred action, had been going on um, for a while before it happened, at least, I don't know how many years it was going on. I mean, um, we called people the dreamers. People had, went by the dreamers for a long time before there was DACA. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, when we started ULI, we didn't even, we weren't thinking about deferred action. We were thinking about the DREAM Act uh, because that the DREAM Act was a federal, it, well, it was a proposal, federal law that would allow undocumented students to a pathway to citizenship um, and it would provide in-state tuition because Texas was the first state in 2001. And yeah, I mean, our, our goal was thinking, let's pass at the federal level uh, the DREAM Act, but, you know, it, it was, it, it, it didn't happen, um, but, or the, the DREAMers organized to have DACA, uh, to have DACA at the end of the day. And so DACA, as important as it is, and as inspiring as many things came out of it, DACA is only really a sliver of what we're looking for. Um, the DREAM Act is bigger the dream is bigger than DACA um, yeah. and, and bigger than DAPA as well. Um, were you at all involved in the fight for uh, what DAPA would have been? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, it, because it was when DACA passed, we were hoping for DAPA to pass as well. So that's where we also engaged the parents a lot from the school district. We were working with the parent support specialists, doing know your rights trainings for the parents, telling them that they could gather what documents they could start gathering because we were hoping that DACA would, that what we did with DACA, we could do with DAPA as well. But unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, and that was, a, that was really heartbreaking because a lot of the parents who we had real, really good relationships where they were very hopeful uh, because they were seeing their children, uh, you know, having the, the work permit. So they were hoping as well that they would have that opportunity. One of the things that I found, there were a lot of things that I found and still find incredibly moving and inspiring about the dreamers and uh, young people involved in this movement was that there had been this, and there still is, but there had been this very strong really mean um, attitude that, well, the students, the young people, they're quote unquote innocent. They didn't even choose to come to the United States. It was, it was all the fault of their parents when what the parents were doing were trying to, as any parent would, try to provide food, <laughs> housing, education for their children. And one of the things that really inspired me about the dreamers was DACA was not enough now let's take care of our parents and completely rejecting that narrative of, you know, only those of us who are quote unquote innocent mm -hmm. um, deserve. And again, I use that word deserve um, entre comillas, you know, because, because, uh, because your parents are your human, are human beings too. And also had never done anything evil in trying to provide for their children. Uh, I found that very inspiring. And and President Obama, to his credit, finally came through with DAPA, but it was stopped in the federal courts. Right. So, okay, so you're organizing with Education Austin. You're working very closely with um, University Leadership Initiative, or ULI. How 
well, and you've seen what uh, what can happen when organized labor and immigrants come together in this one little microcosm of Austin, Texas with the teachers union and uh, immigrants. Did you, and you were inspired by Chicago, did you see anything like this happening anywhere else in Texas? Uh, no, not really. We, we didn't, we hadn't seen it, uh, but I think that the opportunity to be able to integrate the, the work that we were doing uh, was really important. And, you know, like one, when I first got uh, elected as the vice president, we had this mind of like, we're going to integrate immigration and we're going to do all these know your rights trainings and things like that. And one of the first things that we did as Education Austin, we have our executive board. We said uh, we wanted to pass a resolution in support of immigration. And I was very naive at that time. And I thought, okay, we're going to write it. It's going to pass. You know, it's going to be excellent. And it was, it took us three board meetings to pass this resolution because we had some members in our executive board who were Republican and who had a very, uh, a, a different opinion about immigrants. And I remember going, like, I remember going to these, to the executive board meetings and my stomach would just be like, you know, very, I was very nervous because when I started to hear what they were saying, uh, I was like, wait, but you know, you've known me for eight years already and this is who we are. And I remember one of the members saying, yeah, but you're not one of them. You're not like them. And I remember that day saying like, no, I am them. When you talk about them, it's us, it's me. I was lucky to fix my status, but this is the work that we need to do for our union. So it was it was a it was a it was a hard conversation, but it was very respectful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we really also wanted to start doing, aside from the DACA work, we also wanted to start doing citizenship clinics mm -hmm. because in that time I had become a U.S. citizen. So I wanted to make sure that as a union we would provide to our union members information. Uh, about how to become a U.S. citizen, right? And so we started doing, uh, uh, integrating that work as well. And, you know, uh, when I left Education Austin to come to the Texas AFL-CIO on the last day where I told them that I was leaving, the woman that, um, that was against the, the resolution was uh, shared with me how happy she was that we had engaged um, with immigration work because she saw how some of the bus drivers in her worksite who were uh, eligible permanent residents have become citizens through the program from Education Austin. And she saw how the life of many of the bus drivers have changed and how they were able to cast their vote for the first time and how proud they were. So that work helped allowed us to expand our work even more, but it was also more more in depth, uh, in the sense of the it, it was um, it was a time of period of a lot of education of understanding. Okay, this is what documented students are. This is what eligible permanent residents are. This is what TPS, and it was a really important time for us to do that work because we were educating 
are union members, but we also change their minds and their hearts. Probably not, probably not totally, but um, when we started having our documented union members be more engaged in our union, they, they really respected them. And that's where the, the unionism became more evident of, of they were like, if they're attacking my sister who's documented, they're attacking me. And that was a beautiful way to see how we were able to have that transformation. Literally, it was a transformation <laughs> of being very anti-immigrant to actually become more open to hearing the stories and to actually become advocates of their union brothers and sisters. It's just just wonderful. And certainly the most one of the most inspiring things um, that I've seen in all my years in Austin and, and really in my life in terms of really uh, at people's attitudes changing and people uh, who had reason, legitimate reason to be afraid because of how um, throughout various administrations, um, the uh, national government, ICE and its predecessor agencies has treated immigrants. And so there was reason to be fearful about speaking out, about making yourself known. And yet all these young people did it and then took the work further and further. I want to pause because one of the goals of this podcast is to sort of break down and demystify some of these terms. Mm -hmm. TPS, what's TPS stand the for? Tempor yeah, temporary protective steps. Okay. And so um, that has been given to certain times to certain groups of people from a country where a national uh, natural disaster has occurred, like Honduras, um, people, Hondurans who were here already in the United States when Hurricane Mitch hit or and, and so forth. Um, so it's a temporary protected status and uh, TPS. So it's legal, um, but it's quite precarious. Uh, LPR. You said you were an LPR a for a while. Resident. Uh-huh. Could you say legal, that? Yeah, legal permanent resident. Right. And a legal permanent resident does have, as we have this this phrase, path to citizenship, mm -hmm. in that depending on how a person has obtained her legal permanent residency, they may, after three years or after five years, apply to become a US citizen. Um, and that's a big moment. Mm -hmm. If they fulfill a bunch of different requirements, including speaking English to a certain level. And um, so I want to just thank you for all of that. Okay. Education Austin, immigrants, immigration, difficult, difficult, long struggle, but a very successful one. Now you're vice president of AFL-CIO, or I'm sorry, vice president, secretary treasurer, but it's sort of like vice president, isn't it? I yeah, mean, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I need to remember that. Secretary Treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. Big state, big challenges. Um, how, did that, uh, how did that transformation happen? And how, do, how, before you became, how did you feel about making such a big step? Yeah, so uh, I met this, this wonderful and amazing human being, uh, Rick Levy. And, you know, uh, he, was, he has been with the Texas AFL-CIO for a long time. And he actually one day called me and said, Montserrat, I need to talk to you. And I was like, sure, Rick. Um, and this was before um, 
before uh, Thanksgiving. And he said, you know, uh, would, you know, he talked to me about uh, perhaps thinking about becoming the secretary treasurer and running to become the secretary treasurer of the Texas AFL-CIO. And, you know, he, he was looking at the work that I was doing with Education Austin, with integrating immigration and really organizing and doing that kind of work. And, you know, he was sharing with me um, at the Texas AFL-CIO, we're a state federation. We represent 245,000 union members throughout the whole state, uh, from carpenters, electricians, county workers. Uh, and, and he explained to me all of that and, and asked me what were some of the things that I wanted to do if I would move to the state level. Uh, and so he gave me homework, like a good organizer, and said, write them down, see you next week. I was like, okay. So it was Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And I remember going home and just writing all the things that I wanted to do. If I had all the resources, if I could, if, you know, the moon and the sky, right. Mm -hmm. And the week passed, I, we met and I showed him my book. I said, I would do this, this, this and that, and this and that. And he, he gets a little piece of paper from his shirt and he shows me that piece of paper and it was almost the same thing that I wrote from my book <laughs> and right there I was like okay <laughs> this, is, this is good this is like you know like we have the same vision this would be great and as scary as it was I felt that I really needed to step up because um you know we had a president um that I don't like uh, and I felt that it was the time to step up because our community, the immigrant community, the labor movement needed me to be there and to do that. Um, and I feel that it was it, it wasn't an easy uh, it wasn't an, an, an easy choice because I felt so comfortable in doing my work with Education Austin, and I felt that like I was okay. I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> And to be able to jump into a, a position where, you know, a lot of the officers in the unions are white, are male. Um, and I felt that, that the voice of the many uh, invisible people needed to be at the table. And having someone who, uh, such as Rick Levy, who really aligns with social justice unionism, um, and who, who's been really a mentor for me in terms of building relationships with union members uh, and with unions that, you know, sometimes uh, I don't see eye to eye for different areas, uh, has really been a learning experience, but also has allowed me to step out of my comfort zone and build friendships. Uh, friendships, but also build solidarity. Uh, and I've learned a lot. Uh, and to be able to take the work that we were doing in education Austin statewide like we have a big citizenship campaign within the Texas AFL-CIO uh, and we're taking the that model to of the citizenship clinics to eight different cities throughout the state and we're planning to you know work that and expand that even more uh, has been incredibly uh, hopeful but also to be able to learn more uh, at the legislative level political level uh, it's been really uh, eye-opening. Um, tell me what were on your little piece of paper or big piece of paper, I don't know, and then in the paper in Rick Levy's pocket, what were the, some of the things on, on those pages? 
Yeah, so uh, one of them was to uh, do citizenship clinics statewide. Another one was uh, to, re to engage younger union members, uh, having like a school for union members. Another one was uh, really empowering members to do uh, more political work, like grassroots organizing uh, in terms of going to the Capitol and teaching uh, union members what, how to advocate at the state level. Um, it was uh, expanding uh, like our scholarship work, which we, we, we're doing. Um, and also like for me was a lot about uh, identifying Spanish speaking union members to step up um, and to have like a, a mentor, mentor program with them. Um, also having like, uh, it was having a women's committee uh, within the Texas AFL-CIO, which that's something that we're doing as well. So those were some of the things, uh, the big things that I remember. And you're doing so much of it. Um, it's, it's really, really seeing a dream come true, even though we have also had these various nightmares <laughs> along the way that yeah. nobody could have predicted. So a lot of times people outside of Texas have no idea <laughs> how big it is. They, I mean, they know it's big in their heads, but still they'll call you and say, I have this uh, problem in El Paso. Could you, you know, do something about it? And they're like, uh, no, <laughs> it's yeah. a 10 hour drive uh, mm -hmm. or yep. easily. Um, so how, I mean, how do you, how do you organize such a large state? One, in the best of times, and two, how do you organize during COVID? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. <laughs> so we, uh, for how we started doing this, the citizenship stuff, we had a toolkit. Uh, and what, what it was really good is that we started from scratch in Education Austin. And of course, like we didn't do the whole work. We worked with different immigrant organizations and they had their expertise as lawyers. And then we had our expertise as organizers. And having that toolkit and really knowing the ins and outs of it, um, we hired Jesus Perales, who is our citizenship coordinator at the Texas AFL-CIO, who is wonderful. He's documented. He understands uh, the importance of getting people involved. He's a great organizer. Uh, and he has been able to take these uh, systems that we created to the state level. Uh, so, you know, we have committees in the eight different cities. He follows up with the committee. We train the committees on what, uh, how to become U.S. citizens. We created a website that has the different um, resources in terms of we you know reaching out to immigration pro bono lawyers in each of the cities working with organizations um having places where they can uh take english classes where they can take uh, the citizenship classes as well and it just kind of worked out to have these committees in the different cities and we're hoping to expand it to waco and Amer uh waco and rio grande valley because there's very little help in those areas. And then of course, like you said, COVID happened. Um, 
And right now, that's what we're trying to do. How do we take it? Um, how do we keep doing this work? So one of the things that, um, that we were doing before COVID, we would have forums in each of the cities. We would have three or four forums uh, uh, showing like what, what uh, having a forum would entail having the, uh, an immigration lawyer talking about the, what are the, uh, the requisites, what are the, just different uh, information sessions, I guess you would say. Uh, and right now, since we are not able to gather in the in the central labor councils to these forums, we're starting to do them uh, via Zoom. So now we're taking it to the virtual uh, way of doing things, and that's little by little how we're doing it. And we're working with the Equal Justice Center um, and Casa Marianela as well in how do we take this uh, into doing citizenship clinics via virtually right and we know that like the texas here to stay which she's an organization of different immigration uh organizations and lawyers here in austin they're doing daca clinics uh virtually so we're trying to see if we can replicate that uh into the citizenship stuff and right now it's we're, we're working on that i applaud you for you know, forging forward with it despite the many challenges. I, I also want to ask you a lot, or I don't know, some of your success, maybe a lot of your success at Education Austin in overcoming people's prejudices, um, maybe even unconscious prejudices. They're not necessarily thinking, I hate immigrants, mm -hmm. but then they're looking at you and saying, oh, I like her, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but she's different. You know, this is the exception. That was able to come about in part because people knew you, they had seen how hard you worked, they saw how good you were as a teacher and then as an organizer and they had trust in you. That's harder at a statewide level in such a big state with such very different people and regions. Any ideas or any, um, how do you meet yeah. those challenges? You know, it, it is hard um, and I think that the the thing that I've learned about uh, our labor movement is that you have to build relationships and have communication. Mm -hmm. If you're able to build relationships and you know have deep deep conversations, uh, that's that right there speaks volumes of the work that you can do. You know, I, I'm a teacher. I always say we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, <laughs> right? right? If we're able to listen. Um, to the stories of other union members, that that really um, that really opens up this empathy, empathy from one another, mm -hmm. and to me that's been really important. Um, Jesus is is a, a great organizer, and he has been able to open those doors with union members, um, and to be able to see that he's been doing that and that we have been doing that together with different unions has been really important to the work that we do. But also to the fact that, you know, Rick has, Rick Levy has had such a great relationship with our union family is really important because that in a way has allowed me and has opened the doors mm -hmm. for me to be able to talk to an electrician in Amarillo <laughs> who does not look like me, does not talk like me, and certainly doesn't have the same uh, way of thinking as me, right? Mm -hmm. But to be able to have the back of my brother 
uh, Ridley and for us to go together and say, this is what our plan is. Can we sit down? Can we have a conversation? Has really opened the doors for me uh, and for us to be doing this type of work. But also, I think the fact that our union leaders are able to see that Texas is changing mm -hmm. and that the workforce is changing and their workers who, who are hungry for justice. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that right there, it's the most powerful thing. Um, because when you're able to organize people at that level, you really are able to transform them, but also empower them. Because at the end of the day, if we don't do this work now, in 10 years from now, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. So I think that there a lot of our union leaders are looking at, this is an issue for workers. This is, it's not the immigrant movement and the labor movement. Yeah. Here in Texas is our movement and our movement is people of color, is black and, and, and Latinos, is queer, uh, LBGTQ. It's a rainbow, right? It's a rainbow of, of different, uh, different way of thinking. And we are embracing that. And if we don't embrace it, then we're going to be, we're not, we're, we won't be here in 10 years from now. Montserrat, I have many more things to ask you. This is longer than I had hoped to go tonight, um, just because there's only so much time people can listen. And um, I want you to, I want to come back so that I can go into more depth with some of these. But I also have to tell you that my last question tonight was going to be, what gives you hope? And uh, you have just answered what you have said about the people being hungry for justice and not separating immigrant activism and labor, but it's all one, a big inclusive moment, has has answered my question of what, what gives me hope. Um, maybe I can ask you just to give me a little tiny um, example of that, of, of how that looks like, uh, you know, what does that look like, um, that solidarity that you're talking about? Well, you know, I, when last week when I was watching the Democratic Convention and I heard Kamala Harris speak, <laughs> it, that gave me hope. To be able to see a woman of color, the daughter of immigrants, running as the vice president, uh, that gave me hope. Because as I was closing my eyes and listening to her, I was hearing my story. And when I, she, you know, the, the ticket might not be perfect, but right now is what we need. And that's what gives me hope. And that's why I'm committed to, you know, in this COVID area, era, uh, to phone bank and text and organize as hell to make sure that the Biden-Harris ticket gets elected. Because the other side does not care about immigrants, does not care about public education, does not care about healthcare, does not care about the working people. And the only way that we can ensure that the democracy that I loved when I, you know, when I came to this country, that I hope it's still alive in the years to come is by electing people that understand what we're struggling 
uh, and that they're able to be bold and courageous. And that gives me hope. And that's what I'm keeping in my, in my heart and my soul. And that's why I wake up every morning organizing because we need to have a different president. And Biden and Harris are the people that, uh, that I think can do the change. Thank you, Montserrat. I, I could ask you a million more questions and maybe you will let me invite you back a different time so we can uh, say more, um, hear more from you. I very, very much appreciate everything that you have done and that you are doing. Uh, you give me hope, um, you and your sister and, and all of the, and your mom and all of the people that I've met through um, first ULI, but then uh, seeing my friends from the AFL-CIO AFL coming together with you and uh, Education Austin and, and the immigration community has been a, a really a magnificent joy and wonder to behold. So I look forward to more of it. Um, thank you so much and thank you. thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to First They Came for the Immigrants, a new podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to give us a rating and review, which helps people find the podcast. Our audio was produced by Avi Hurwitz, who also performed the music at the introduction to the podcast. Outro music by progressive social justice rock band Swerve Left. Find us on Facebook and be sure to like us and follow us there. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Let's get